Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be here again. Um, oh, it's a bit, I've got my big chunky preacher's Bible out tonight. Are you impressed? The other one, the pages are falling out. Um, I just want to say before I start, thank you for all those people that are praying for us and for Abby. I don't feel alone in what we're going through and it makes a real difference. So thank you very much. Um, the word I've got today came out of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, while we were praying together and things been mulling over my heart for quite a long time now, just really had the words come to me, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So it's going to be about food later on. So I hope you're not too hungry already because you will be by the end of it. But I just want to say that when you go to a transition, when you're journeying in a car, you, I always seem twice as hungry as when I'm sat at home. You set off for 10 minutes and you want to eat the packed lunch you've got already. You already want to open the packet of crisps. You already want to go, what is that about being in a car journey? I know it's sweets. And my mum used to pack me some massive packed lunches. Could never eat them. Always wanted to eat them 10 minutes into the coach journey. Um, but I have got a disgusting food story I thought you'd like to know. Now, I've never ever told anybody this in my whole life, so you are privileged. When I was a student at Lancaster, my youth leader travelled all the way from Bedford, I think she was going to the Lake District, and popped in for tea. I was first year student, really nervous about hosting somebody, decided to do chili con carne, I could do that. Cooking away, I had no backup plan. Cooking right, first bit went fine. Got to the tin of tomatoes. Opened the tin of tomatoes. There's a big, fat caterpillar. Sat on the top of the tin of tomatoes. Never had it since. I mean, it was, it was big. It was big. I was like, what do I do? She's coming in 15 minutes. I've got no backup plan. So as a student, what do you do? You fish it out with your finger and you put it in. <laughs> So uh, just don't tell her, actually, she's not alive anymore, but um, (laughs) I didn't poison her. (laughs) But nobody's known that story. I've eaten caterpillar juice. Tasted really good, actually. Um, So to go back to food in a bit, I've got quite a big introduction just on our prophetic journey so far. So for those of you who've been around for a while, you've noticed that we've done three steps in our prophetic journey over the last year and a half. So we've looked at the altar, looked at ourselves, working on our own hearts, our attitudes, clearing the rubbish out, letting God burn up the the, the dross on the altar. Um, We've looked at the foundations, laying once again the foundations of trust and faith and positioning ourselves in the family for what's to come. But this is the bit I am excited about. It's time to open the gates. For opening the gates for people to come in and opening the gates to come out, creating spaces and places, welcoming people into the Father's house, bringing hope and unconditional love. When we started talking about, about 18, 20, two years ago, these prophetic steps, this is the one I've always waited for. This is the one I have dreamed about. Because it's like DIY when you're making a nursery, isn't it? You've got to sand it all down. You've got to strip the wallpaper. You've got to get it all. You've got to go choose the paint, get the ladders. But it's when it's painted and you can put the furniture in and the baby's ready to come, 
that things get really exciting. But you have to do the first bits first. Because the Bible says the harvest is plentiful. There's no lack in harvest. It says in Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38, as Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And they prayed, and here we are. The disciples prayed for you. That was Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Sorry, Joe. We're here because of the disciples' prayer. There is a harvest, and it's ripe. And I really feel now, and we're seeing the first fruits already. Now we've got the foundations and the altar sorted. Now the nursery's ready. The new life will start to come. But we need labourers out. We need the gates open. At a recent ladies' day, she prophesied once again about revival. And I felt my heart going, do I dare believe this again? I've heard this. That the Spirit's coming that things are moving. Do I dare believe this once more, that something amazing is on its way? And yes, I do. I honestly believe that now we're ready, something is turning. The wave is coming. Karen, a while back, I think it might have even been as long as seven, eight years ago, brought this word. And I've had it in my heart ever since. She said, I saw a wave building. It got bigger and bigger, building up so it would crash. And I was watching and I was wondering in anticipation. And I asked God, what are you going to release? The wave was huge, but then it stopped like it was frozen. And as I looked closer, I saw God holding it. And I asked, why are you holding it? He says, you need to be more vulnerable, was God's reply. I want to release it and then let it crash but I can't until you are more vulnerable. And in my heart of hearts, I feel that we've been through that vulnerability process. That we've all come to a point of realizing what's in our hearts. That was part of the altar. And part of the foundations was repositioning ourselves. And with vulnerability and honesty and authenticity in our hearts, we are now ready for this wave. This wave of the Holy Spirit, this wave of healing, the wave of new things, a wave of new birth. It's ready to crash. And Jesus doesn't just come and do it for us. He gives us the privilege of being co-workers. I can never get my head around this, why Jesus wants us to do this with him. He could do it all by himself if he chose. But he comes, he sets the example and he says, right now you do it. You follow me, you watch me and do the same as me. So Jesus' whole name means one who saves, rescues, and delivers. That's who we are. One who saves, rescues, and delivers. And Jesus says, I'll teach you to become fishers of men. I will teach you in your everyday worlds to pick up the skills that you have and use them to draw people to Jesus. He asks us to work with him, to show people his heart. 
We are not slaves anymore. We are sons. We are part of the father's business. And he shows us what he's up to. He shows us what his heart's doing. And he wants to bless and restore and release and transform people's lives. And he says, come on board. This is what I'm doing. And he gives us a great commission. In Matthew 28, it says, Then the eleven disciples, verse 16, sorry. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He gives us the privilege of going out and seeing people transformed. There's nothing like seeing a life transformed. You could give me the biggest castle. You could give me the fanciest yacht. You could give me anything else, but there's nothing as much exciting as seeing somebody's life transformed, as seeing families coming together, as seeing people coming out of depression, seeing the broken restored, the lost find hope. And we have been called to do this. Can you believe this is what God has privileged us to do? It's amazing. And he's called us to be a family because no nursery, you can't bring life into an empty space. It needs to be a family. That's why he's prepared us as a family and said, come on, be committed to each other. Just like a marriage, be committed to each other. Be committed as a family because in that home, I can bring new birth. When there's unity and love, when there's unconditional love for each other, then out from that will flow unconditional love to the outside, through the gates. And I, um, on Wednesday, had the privilege of going to um, a meeting held in Huddersfield, in the university, in that nice flashy building that changes the lights, um, with uh, a certain person. I went to a spot, it was good, wasn't it? Really, really good. But the thing that touched me was Joe Cox... It was Joe Cox's um, foundation. Um, And her sister was there. And her mother was there. And her father was there. And Joe Cox had a passion. She was from Batley and she got killed in 2016 for what she stood for. And her famous line is, we've more in common than that which divides us. And she was going after loneliness and bringing communities together. And even after she'd gone, her family rose up and said, we're not letting this legacy go. We're not letting her legacy die. We are wholeheartedly standing in her footsteps. And we are following in Jesus' legacy. His love for people, his outstretched arms for people, his passion, his offer of hope and salvation. We're not letting that legacy go or die. We're standing in the gap and saying, This is how much we love you, Jesus. Just as I saw the love of that family. I saw the love of that family for for Joe. Just as much I love you, Jesus. This is what I want to do for you. Not because I have to. Not because I, I feel obliged to. 
but because I love you and I love your message and I know it works. I know you're true. I know you're faithful. I know you're loving and kind. I want to bring that to other people. And God's asked us to clear stuff out of our lives and to clear the dross. And that's not just for our own welfare. But because until we have empty spaces in our heart, how do we fill it up with the pain of other people? How do we fill it up with the heartbreak and the loneliness of other people? So we understand what they're going for. So we have that compassion that Jesus had. That is one of the reasons he's emptied us. Because he wants to fill it not always with things that make us comfortable but with pain and heartbreak and loneliness. And we have to be those people who lay our lives down. We're heavenly people. This isn't our home. We're not here to be comfortable. We're here to lay our lives down and obey him and go out and preach the gospel and tell them who he is. Tell them what he's done. Bring them hope. So the gates that we're opening with celebration and responsibility with both. And in all my word, I'm standing here and saying I'm challenged by God because everything I say, I'm challenging myself. Absolutely. I'm sitting with you and listening to me up here at the same time. It's a weird, weird thing. That we are to celebrate the fact that God is opening the gates, but also take the responsibility that it's a family thing. It takes a a village to raise a child. If somebody walks through that door that we don't know, we all go and say hello. We don't leave it to the outreach. We don't leave it to the evangelists because we are all legacy followers of Jesus. We want everyone to know his love. So the gates are open for people to come in. The gates are open for people to come out. We're to create more gates. Everybody's different. Everybody's got different interests. Everybody understands and relates to different things. So if you've got somebody who's a as a hippie coming in to somebody who's a techno, they're not going to come in the same gates. You're going to have to provide different entrances. And some of them will be through community groups. Some of them will be through Alpha. Some of them will be through our friendships, our workplaces, our conversations. Some of them will be through all sorts of different, unique, creative, different gates that we are going to open. That we didn't even know. I love the story of the secret garden. When there was a gate in the wall that nobody knew was there and they found the key for it. We are going to be key holders for gates that we didn't even know we had the key to. To let people who are strangers to the presence of God come in and see his face. And we have to take that responsibility. Each one of you has been called for this moment. Each one of you have been through the last seven years with everything that we've been through of coming on the journey because of this moment. Because he wants you, he's called you, he's honed you and fashioned you for this. Ooh, I'm excited. Right, so get up and eat. So let me go on. That was my introduction. <laughs> I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. One Kings 19. One Kings 19. One to 18. This story is after the amazing on the mountain thing that Elijah did. 
when he had to go against 850 other prophets and there was just him. And he called, he poured water and water and water till the altar was dripping and called down fire from heaven and God provided it to burn up. So he's, he's had a really exhausting time. Um, and this is the story afterwards. When Ahab, that's the enemy, got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the people of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message. Ooh, if she was in a pantomime, we'd all go, boo. May the gods strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you, just as you killed them. That's not funny at all, is it? Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. We've seen that, haven't we? After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimrishi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, to replace you as my prophet. It's a sad story. He's exhausted. He wants to die. And God meets him. Um, Oh, can I just read a little bit further? 
It says in verse 18, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who've never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. He feels alone, but there's 7,000 others. It's a really sad story. And he still doesn't, still doesn't change his understanding of what God is doing, even though God tells him that. Get up and eat for the journey is too much. Now, we've had our time of fasting. And um, while we did the fasting and then came out of it, I realized that the nighttime, your nighttime um, ways you eat are different from your morning times. At night times, you might go and get a bar of chocolate, packet of crisps, bottle of wine. I don't know what you like. It Like I'm talking about evening time. Like when you come back from something and it's eight o'clock and you've been praying, you think, oh, just fancy something. Just fancy something. That wouldn't be me, actually. Um, but it's different from your feast. When If you were going for a hard day's work, if you were harvesting in the fields, you wouldn't just have a packet of crisps. You would eat well. And if you knew you were going out the next day, you would eat well. And you wouldn't just eat once on a Sunday roast and that lasts you the whole week. You would eat every day, at least twice a day, a really good meal to sustain you. And yet sometimes as Christians, we don't eat well and we wonder why we're tired. We wonder why we lose hope. We wonder why we lose strength. We wonder why we have nothing left to offer people. There's no overflow in our life because we've not even eaten enough for what God's asking us to do. It's time to eat well. And God uses things to stop us. The first thing in the passage, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now God says, do not be afraid. But the enemy says, oh, be afraid. He loves it when he's making the whole of our world afraid right now. He's making people hide, which is exactly what he likes to do. He makes people disconnect. And yet we can turn this fear into hope. We have the good news, but it has to overflow from hope within you. There's no point in saying empty words, saying God, God is there, when actually your life doesn't show because you're not feeding yourself. It causes us to hide in our faith causes us to lack faith in ourselves. Fear causes us to believe we're not needed. Fear causes us to think that other people should be doing it. Fear causes us not to trust in our own strength and our own ability. Let's not be afraid. Let's be people who lean on the strength and the faith and the hope of God. Let fear be changed into hope. Fear be changed. Even if that fear is coming out of pain, go back to that pain and look at that pain. God's spoken to me this last couple of weeks and said, fear, he can't do anything with. It causes disconnection and people to hide. But pain is one of the most beautiful sacrifices you can ever give. In worship, if you worship out of pain, that is a beautiful aroma to him. So even if the fear is coming out of pain, go back to the pain and worship him from there. So, fear. Now, notice Elijah has eaten before. It's not that he hasn't eaten, and he's had some amazing meals in his lifetime. He had a time when ravens, who normally gobble up everything, actually brought him food. 
And he had a spring that miraculously kept on bubbling. He's had a time when he went to a widow's house and the oil and the flour just didn't stop flowing. Amazing meals with company. And he saw a lad raised from the dead then. And he's got to this point and he needs another meal. Although he's had really amazing meal, and this meal hasn't even got meat in it, it's just bread. And yet this, at this present time, is the most important meal in his life. Now I've had some amazing encounters with God back in my lifetime. Not that long, obviously, being so young. Um, um, where it's been all, it's been amazing intimate moments. I felt strong and powerful. But right now, to eat right now, my meals look different. It doesn't look as amazing, but I can't keep looking back and say, well, why can't this meal be like this? Why can't I feel so amazing? Why can't I feel the intimacy of God like I used to? But for now on my journey, this meal is the most important and the most sustaining and the most important. It might just be bread and water, but that is what God is sustaining me on right now. So don't despise the meal that God is giving you. It doesn't have to feel amazing. It doesn't have to feel brilliant but it will sustain you. It will keep you going. It might not be like the garlic. Remember the Israelites coming out and saying, why can't we have garlic? And he said, no, this is the meal you want. Prepared for you at your life at this moment. This is the meal. And um, he's gone to, to take down the gods of Baal. He's just done that. And it's important that we go back and we look at what gods have we got in our life? They might not be made of stone or wood. But if we've got anything in our life that sets itself up before God. Now, the devil's really naughty. Really naughty. He does. He takes something good. Something like a really good job or a really good house, really good home, really good skills, really good family life. And he takes what's good and he makes it the focus of your life because it's so good. And it feels like a God thing. But actually, it's in the way of God. And when you wake up and you talk about it with friends, and I think we need a reality check. Even in my life, I've been thinking about that. A reality check of what do I spend most time thinking about, most time talking about, most time dreaming about. Is it God? If not, I've got some other gods in there. I need to redress and I need to pull them down. Because you cannot bring people into a place of worship where God is a center if there's all these other gods popping up. We're not teaching them the right things. You can't bring babies into that place. And it will take away your true identity of who you are. Um, so, let me think. One of these gods, I mean, it's important, is... Um, is in this journey, we've looked and addressed that are ourselves. And on this journey, I have had some mental health issues. I have been and had tablets. I have been and got counselling, and I am still getting counselling. I've really recognised the importance of Sabbath. I've recognised the importance of rhythms. But sometimes the way we, we have a passion to meet our own needs and have rest ourselves can actually become a God in itself. And I've noticed that with me. There's a fine line between healthily looking after myself and putting myself before God. And I think we have to be really careful in this society, in our age, that we don't put, meet our own needs before God, but we do look after ourselves. It's a, it's a really good balance to have. 
And we have to look carefully and well about it. So, um, oh, I'll do this one quickly. Yeah, what do you see? Elijah feels on his own. He says, I'm the only one left. One of the things that stops us being effective in a family is feeling isolated and lonely. And we've all been there. We've all walked through that door and thought, no one to talk to. Where shall I sit? Even I have. Struggled some days and thought, I don't think anyone's noticed me this morning. But some of that loneliness, whereas God actually says there are 7,000 others. Go find them. Go find them. There are others. Sometimes the responsibility is on us to break out of our own corners and our own caves and go and make connections. Through family hubs, through talking, through sitting somewhere different, make connections. Make that family strong. Let's cause this family to be so strong and so united, nobody feels isolated. Nobody, so people who genuinely are strangers through the door can feel that people are connected. There is such a love in here. So let's not snack. Let's eat proper meals. Not just a snack on Sunday. Let's go back to the Sunday word where someone spent hours preparing. Let's listen to it with a notebook. Let, let it go into our very soul. If you've got time, don't turn the telly on. Go to the podcast on the website and listen to past sermons again. Eat them, chew them, let them go right into your guts. Because man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We need his truth to fill our lives. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Things will change, insecurities will come, but his word will keep us safe. So this Bible is so amazing. Let's go to family hubs and dig and ask questions. Connect yourself with people who are also studying the Bible. Let's use the internet for good, not for bad things we shouldn't look at, but there's so much on there. Like um, Bible projects, you Bible, let's use it to feed ourselves. Some days I can't even, especially if I'm having a bad day, I can't even read words. I like to listen to the Bible. There's so much on the Bible, you can click it and they will just read you. It's like reading a story to you. Just let it sink in. Meditate. Whether you need to use a paper version, an electronic version, read the Bible all the way through. Read chunks, read small bits, memorize it, stick it on your window, stick it on your car, put it in your handbag, put it in your wallet. Let's fill our lives with the word of God. I remember as students, you used to cover your whole room with words that God has said. God's challenged me on this. It's like, let's get that back into our houses. So everywhere we look, there's word, word here, word there. You're filling your life with God's word. Journals. Let's reuse our journals if we've stopped. Journals of the Sunday word, journals of what we're thinking. Let's go back to those. Let's sharpen each other's understanding. So when we come together, we're not just talking about day-to-day earthly issues, but we're talking about heaven. We're talking about our identity, who we are. Let's make ourselves hungry. Now, I've brought with me, these are very special to me. Just like my Bible, because these are words from my children who I am passionate about. They send me cards, Mother's Day, birthdays, and some of the stuff they put is beautiful. This is from my father. 
Some of the stuff in here is beautiful. I treasure these. I reread them. My identity is changed because people believe in me. My children believe in me. They love me. My identity changed because my father believes in me. He sees me. He knows me. He loves me. Treasure the words of truth. Make them your foundation. Put them on your your doorposts. Let them sink into your heart. But we need to eat. Eat and eat. Because without it, the journey is going to be too much for us. When the babies come in and they need feeding, and you have sleepless nights, you need to have food in your stomach. Let's eat. So if you just want to close your eyes a minute. I just want to relieve space for God's whisper to you. We don't want to be like foolish men who hear the word and do nothing about it. We want to be those who are wise, who take the word and who apply it into our lives. But God will have different things for you to apply because we're so different. So just listen to what he wants to say to you.